Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Today, I'm joined by Catherine Allman McDonough, a lawyer, entrepreneur, and CEO and founder of the Legal Lean Sigma Institute. Catherine started her legal career as director of corporate marketing for Council Connect, which, to put you in the way back machine, was a first of its kind sort of social network platform for attorneys. After several roles in marketing and business development at law firms, she founded the Legal Sales and Service Organization. It was at that organization where she developed the Legal Lean Sigma Institute. The Institute was formed out of Catherine's interest in, quote, harnessing the power of teams, close quote. She believes that change management can help address matters such as DEI, war for talent, and improving employee and client experiences. Catherine has also founded the Coalition of Professional Services Providers and co-founded Legal Sustainability and Social Impact. Additionally, she's the Chief Enthusiasm Officer at The Mocktail, a program that teaches legal professionals the skills of networking through fun simulation exercises. Today, Catherine tells us about how she's introduced to Lean and Six Sigma, how she confronts attorney skepticism towards change management, and what being a chief enthusiasm officer means to her. I hope you enjoy listening in. Thanks for doing so. It's great to meet you. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the podcast. I'm just delighted to be asked to participate in your series. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you. And while our our listeners can't see what I see, I see your whiteboard with your yellow your yellow stickies on it. It's uh, brings back fond memories for me. Behold the power of sticky notes. It's sort of amazing, isn't it, how these simple things can be such a powerful tool for getting people to think differently. Absolutely, I, I'm a huge fan of technology, but sometimes there's no tech like low tech. Oh, <laughs> well, there's something about that tactile feel to it that you get people up. I assume you your work went mostly virtual during the pandemic, and I assume it's getting back to being in person. There's something about the in-person experience, though, that's that's hard to beat, isn't it? It absolutely is. I know you uh, and and Seiferth have a lot of experience with doing exercises like process mapping, and that in particular really lends itself to a, a great in-person collaborative experience. It really does. There's nothing like seeing, you know, the the wall full of sticky notes that have been moved around as people are rethinking and redesigning the process, is there? Uh, it's incredibly powerful, for sure. People will always say, oh, that was really eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it really is. It's gratifying, isn't it? It is. I think this is some of the best work you can do. I love it. I'm incredibly passionate about it. And so I'm grateful to be able to share via a platform like yours why I love doing this work so much, what it is. And so I'm really, uh, as I said, I'm just I'm delighted to be asked to be with you today. We're delighted to have you. You're the CEO and founder of Legal Lean Sigma Institute. And actually, um, because we have translated the concepts of Lean and Six Sigma so uniquely to legal, we actually own the registered trademark in Legal Lean Sigma. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's a sharp business mind and and good (laughs) good IP lawyers. (laughs) Thank you. I can still occasionally put the lawyer hat on. (laughs) So what, what got you into Lean and Six Sigma? The Institute's been around for 11, 12 years, if I've got that right. 
Yeah, well, we started to build our courses actually under the legal sales and service organization umbrella beginning in 2003. And what we had not anticipated is how much consulting work was going to come out of the delivery of those certification courses. And so my two lasso partners graciously allowed me to spin off the company and create the Legal Lean Sigma Institute as a standalone. But I've been interested in, I didn't know that it was Lean or Six Sigma at the time. I just thought it was efficiency and good practice management and something that seems a bit old fashioned, which is just common sense. I became interested in this the year I got out of law school, which was 1990. And I worked for an in-house law department. I was a corporate counsel. And to cut to the chase, I just thought the way that law was practiced and the way that our relationship was going with our outside counsel could have been vastly improved. And so I began my studies with looking at things like the DuPont legal model and what they were doing to improve those relationships. And I was just keenly interested in how can we help people work better together? I was a competitive athlete in high school. I was a theater student and did a lot of theater work in high school and in college. And so I know the power of a high-performing, high-functioning team, and I was not seeing that in law. And I became very interested in how do we build an organization where we have a culture of continuous improvement. And that led me into Lean and Six Sigma and project management and design thinking. And I know you had Heidi Gardner as one of your guests before. I'm an accredited partner of the Smart Collaboration Accelerator. All of those things are, are very interesting to me. So I like combining all of those different methodologies and tools for the particular situation at hand to help people work better together. No, absolutely. You, you mentioned the DuPont legal model. We spent time with Tom and the team oh. as well. I mean, you talk about a true pioneer. They were really out there doing some really interesting stuff, weren't they? Yes. Tom Sager, the general counsel of DuPont, could not be a more gracious or generous man. He was very kind to me when I was writing Lean Six Sigma for law firms. I reached out to him. He graciously volunteered to write the foreword for the book. And I consider him somebody, uh, I just, I admire him greatly. To me, he's like the Mick Jagger of the legal world. <laughs> That's a great analogy. I wouldn't have thought about that. I'm not sure Tom would think of himself as Mick Jagger either, but you know. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't want to think of himself as quite that old either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it could be worth it. It could be Keith Richards. <laughs> But very generous, and anybody who goes looking for Tom Sager's articles is bound to find many that he actually co-authored with his outside counsel. So, you know, this wasn't somebody who was just talking about consolidation. This is somebody who was behaving, acting in a way that demonstrated his commitment to the principle of working together. So very interesting. Yeah, you know, I remember Tom going out to spend time with, with Tom and his legal team in the 03, 04 time periods, sort of same sort of time period you're talking about. And I remember having lunch with Tom and talking about embarking on our own journey of what at the time we were talking about Six Sigma became Lean Six Sigma. Uh, and he said, this will be the hardest thing 
you'll ever do. And he was right, as Tom is often right. But I'm curious as to talk a little bit about your journey in the Lean Six Sigma and its application to lawyers, because it's hard. There's a lot of common sense associated with it, and you'd think it'd be easier, but it's not. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges and how you overcome them. Yeah, that's a great thing to talk about. We say all the time, whether it's in the delivery of our courses, our speaking engagements, our writing, or in our consulting engagements, that truly none of this stuff is rocket science. It isn't. It's very simple, actually, but none of it is easy. None of it. What's useful and what's helpful about the frameworks and the tools of Lean and Six Sigma design thinking as well is that done well, done right, there's so much change management that's baked into the way that we do our work. There's so much, you know, we're working with diverse cross-functional teams. There's so much good stuff happening in the way that we do this work. But whether it's incremental improvement or a dramatic transformation, it is change and change is hard, which is why we argue pretty strenuously for observing the people process platform sequence. Well, we're certainly, as I said, fans of technology and it's certainly part of most improvements. You've got to start with people. And the idea of listening to voice of the client, listening to the workers who are closest to where the value is delivered to the organization, that's really important. Um, They often have really great ideas. Our man, uh, Dr. W. Edwards Deming, which any practitioner knows of Deming, he will say, you know, most people are actually very eager to contribute their knowledge, their ideas. Um, We just need to give them a constructive way to contribute. So that's what's super interesting for me is harnessing the power of teams. I myself went from a corporate counsel position to selling legal technology. I sold Council Connect. I remember Council Connect. I know you were part of that as well. That was an amazing, exciting time to be around quite literally for the birth of the internet and to see the way that enabled people to connect with one another, to share ideas, to help one another, to share best practices. That sort of thing was was incredibly interesting. For our listeners who may not be able to go back in the way back machine, tell them what Council Connect was. Council Connect was the first platform for lawyers and others in the legal profession to connect. It had email, it had discussion groups, it had access to what was the very beginning of the internet. In fact, when I joined the team, which was a joint venture initially between American Lawyer Media and Time Warner, and then later it became Lexus Council Connect. But when I first joined, we didn't even have a Windows version. It was a DOS-based version. And the things that were on the internet were maybe some academic sites, the SEC, Edgar Database, but it became a very robust platform for people to set up private discussion groups and to post inquiries. 
hey, I'm looking for somebody with this kind of expertise. So it was kind of like AOL for lawyers. And it was exhilarating to be a part of introducing people to something that overnight just opened up the entire universe to them. Yeah, sort of the first uh, lawyer-based collaboration platform. Yeah, well stated. Okay, so I'm old and I like talking about things that I remember. But, but... <laughs> well, it's better than talking about things you don't remember. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I could do that too. Um, so as you're bringing out Council Connect, you're in the, I think you said you're in the sales side of it. There's a change process associated there that must have been an interesting learning experience for you because you're, you're bringing out this technology into a world that's not familiar with the internet, that's rudimentary at best, and it makes common sense, but you got to get people to do things differently. There must have been an interesting and useful experience for you that you've been able to harness later on in the, in your Lean Six Sigma, yeah? Absolutely. And it's uh, instrumental to my journey to explore that a little bit. My strategy for sales was to approach the law departments because that's the world that I had just come out of. And I understood the challenges and the opportunities that existed for not only managing the work of the law department, I myself handled large loss litigation files, which were multi-jurisdictional. Many, many litigants were involved and it was, it was incredibly complex. But I also understood the power of cost savings in the very simple example of every time you have to send out one document to every state attorney general's office, to every state department of insurance office, and every litigant and their counsel, it was extremely costly. So I understood the power of being able to create a distribution list, attach a document, and send it out in seconds. And that in and of itself was transformative. So my approach was to start talking with the law departments about how to use this tool to work internally, but also externally in the management of their legal matters. And it became much easier to convince the law firms that they should be interested in being where their clients were. If your client's interested, you're going to be interested, aren't you? hundred percent. So like nothing has really changed. Right. But the people that with whom I came into contact in the law firm space were the very first marketing directors. And I thought, given my background, I had spent a year in advertising. I just had all these seemingly random experiences. And I thought, oh, well, I could do that job because then I can really serve as voice of the client and help these law firms understand what it is their clients want, what do they value, and, and how could we do better at this? So I was very fortunate to work inside of several law firms in a marketing and business development capacity prior to embarking on my entrepreneurial years, I'll call them. Yeah. The marketing function at the time you were doing it was only beginning to form and professionalize in the legal industry. So you must have also been involved in a change process there of getting lawyers to accept the professionalism that's now just normal, standard. Everybody's got a CMO now. 
Exactly. I mean, just to support what you're saying, when we first started the Legal Sales and Service Organization, one of our board members conducted a pretty exhaustive study, and we could find 12 people in the world that had business development in their title in a law firm. Oh, my. That was 2003. And here we are. We're looking at celebrating our 20th anniversary. By the way, we'll be in Chicago next June for that. And we've undergone a sea change. So it's been fascinating to me. When I first got out of school, you remember back in you know the early 90s, the rate of change was glacial. And now it is, you know, it's just blindingly fast. And so I think most firms have evolved to the point where they understand they can continue to operate the way they always have, but expectations are, and demands are going to continue to increase. And so they're going to experience a performance gap. And if they do things like work on their processes, focus on harnessing the power of teams, listen to their people when they say, I've got a best practice to share, or I've got a pain point that should be addressed, that's where they're going to get their competitive advantages. And it's fundamental to addressing so many things. I mentioned diversity. So DEI, A, it's fundamental to addressing the war for talent and creating a better employee experience, better client experience, better brand experience. And what I love about this work is you can achieve all of those things quite literally with no trade-offs. So I, I think this is the most strategic, the most challenging, and the most fun work that you can do because people are happier after we've done this work than, than before we started. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the barriers to change you've seen in the legal industry. I presume that people that come to take your classes or sign up for the educational programs you offer, and we'll talk a little bit about those in a minute, they come with a willingness to embrace. They wouldn't be coming to you if they weren't. Correct. But your consulting work, you sort of get down into the nitty gritty of dealing with lawyers or other allied professionals who may be wondering, what the hell is this Lean Six Sigma stuff that this woman's trying to sell? Talk about that construct with regard to lawyers in the legal industry. We're known as being resistant to change. Have you encountered that? And if so, how do you deal with that? We encounter that a lot, and we're also experts in change management. So we take our clients as we find them, and we understand that lawyers typically are, you know, exhibit uh, high degrees of skepticism. It's kind of what lawyers are known for. However, we also know that lawyers are very smart, and we say all the time that we don't think lawyers are any more or less resistant to change than anybody else. If we make a good business case in the face of new evidence, they will change because what lawyers fear more is risk. And so if we show that there's greater risk, if we do nothing to improve, they will move. And so it's up to us to, and I know you've covered this in your series as well, using data to visualize and tell the story, even gathering baseline data. Most lawyers have no idea. We talked about it almost by alluding to it with the process mapping. Most lawyers have never seen the whole process of how things work from start to finish or how many people are involved or how many touch points there are. You know, most lawyers have no idea of the magnitude of a problem or opportunity. 
So even doing kind of back of the napkin calculations, making conservative estimates to show them what is the risk if we do nothing can often be the most compelling reason for them to make a change. Absolutely. We find the same thing. The attributes of lawyers can resist change, but you're right, they can be also used to facilitate change. Being smart, being resistant to risk are characteristics you can use in your favor. Absolutely. I'm a fan of using strengths. So that's that's our approach. And what's interesting for me about this work is even though that we're using the same kinds of tools and the same kinds of frameworks, every organization really is different because it's the people that make the place. They have their own culture, their own history, their leaders have their own vision. And so each one really is different. And, you know, that's kind of what allows us to combine the science of the approaches with the art that is the delivery of the services and how we introduce these things. It will never be the same way as anybody else, which is why we actually introduce people to SciFarth Lean and help them understand what it is. But we also help them to understand, at least I hope we did, that they weren't going to be able to replicate that in their own organization. They could learn from it and use it as a case study, as a reference point, but they would have to have their own version of it. It's never the same way twice. You know, it's precedent, but not exactly the same case. Oh, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. You know, I think everybody's got to find their own path, their own journey, and everybody's got their own unique culture and challenges ahead of them. And if you if you're just trying to copy somebody else, that's not gonna really move the ball forward. You're right. You can learn and and just like we did with Tom and DuPont. We didn't try to replicate what they'd done, but it's an incredible learning experience, both the barriers that they had to overcome, characteristics of people they had to deal with, and the outcomes they were trying to deliver. There's a lot of similarities, but not identical results. You talked about sort of moving into your entrepreneurial phase of life. The Institute, obviously, Legal Sales and Services Conference, Coalition of Professional Service Providers. You founded or co-founded a number of organizations. Where does the entrepreneurial zeal come from? How did that pop out? I was always that kid. I was out there with the lemonade stand and the snow shovel and selling magazine subscriptions to get a guitar. I just was always that kid. (laughs) (laughs) Can't help yourself, can you? It's in the DNA. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me about legal mocktails. Oh, sure. Which I think Uh, is one of the most wonderful names of anything I've ever heard. Thank you. It is a networking training program that uses the idea of profiles for people to come to a simulated networking event where the goal is to forge and further relationships with the other people in the room and connect with people where you have something in common. And it takes place in a real networking setting. There are real drinks, there's real food, and everybody comes with that profile. Business cards, they come, they have their own name, and they have a few bullet points on their card, and they're asked to fill in details about their own real life. Some of the things will be obvious. For example, you might be a chef, and I might be a farmer that grows microgreens. That kind of thing would be obvious to have in common. 
but by teaching people to use open-ended questions and learn something about the other person, uh, it's kind of like the onion, peel back the onion to find mm-hmm. those things in common. And um, this is just what we do in real life, only we find people that go through this training program they find it easier to learn networking skills by stepping into a profile. It's easier for them to to pretend to be someone else than it is to be themselves. Yes, and then they're able to translate that experience. Some like a switch gets flipped and they say, "Oh, networking actually is a skill and I can create my own bullet points. You're no more or less interesting than what's on your card." So then we help them develop their own, you know, their own talking points, their own effective introductions. And so what we do is it's a simulated exercise that we run and we take notes in a very structured manner. And then we do a debrief and we do some formal training and some live coaching in the moment. So it's a two-part exercise It's designed for adult learning. So, you know, we're big believers in experiential learning and having fun. We think people learn learn more when they're having fun. So I love curriculum design and I learned a lot when we were putting together this and the Legal Lean Sigma programs. Our approach is always introduce a concept, show people a tool, and then give them a chance to try it so they know how to apply it. So this way it's immediately useful. It's totally relevant. And they feel like they got something out of the investment of their time, whether it's in a you know week-long course or two-hour simulated exercise like that. I see your chief enthusiasm officer. That's right. I get the enthusiasm. It comes across on the screen. <laughs> Why that title, though? What's the role of enthusiasm in the work you do? And, and how does that relate to the typically skeptical lawyer bunch you deal with? I think we talk a lot over the years. I will tell you that I've been asked numerous times to uh, talk about work-life balance. I've directed a handful of studies on women lawyers and business development issues and co-authored a book around women lawyers. And so I've been asked many times to speak on work-life balance. And I'm just one of those people that I don't really believe in such a thing. I think it's all just life. And I think we're being told more to do things that you like. And I think if you do things that you like and that you are good at, both of those things, it is easier to be passionate and unabashedly enthusiastic. You cannot fake being genuine. And if you love what you do, everybody else knows it. So that's why I picked Chief Enthusiasm Officer. I really believe in this stuff. And I think networking kind of gets a bad name. Lawyers get a bad name. There is another profession that I think has tried to do anything without a lawyer. Lawyers help so many people. One of my entrepreneurial ideas is to have kind of like a Gordon Ramsay type show where I play the Gordon Ramsay character. Well, of course you do. And yeah, where it's like law firm nightmares. But if people only knew how much lawyers cared, how much pro bono work gets done, how much client, you know, lawyers are thinking about clients, how closely business and legal professionals are working together to accomplish a goal, I think their impressions of law would change. So I think, you know, why not be passionate? Why not be enthusiastic? Why not love what you do? 
No, absolutely. It makes the journey through life a lot better, doesn't it? It really does. So last question for you, and I I know we're bumped up against our time, but if you'll indulge me a little bit more, tell me a little bit about your work. You mentioned Dr. Gardner and the Smart Collaboration Accelerator. Tell us a little bit about your work with Heidi and in that organization and how that connects to the work you're doing in Lean Six Sigma. I really, uh, you know, I really admire her and I appreciate instruments that help us understand how to tap into and harness the power of great teams. One of the Lean Sigma principles is to align and empower employees. And so what Heidi talks about are kind of like we live in a VUCA world where it's a volatile, uncertain complex and ambiguous. And I think I'm keen to apply these tools of process improvement, project management, assessment tools like the accelerator to help us put together cross-functional, diverse teams of people where we're leveraging those individual strengths. So it's not just, you know, fancy verbiage to say high-performing, high-functioning team. Not enough to just say we're diverse and cross-functional. It's how do we select and then enable a team of individuals in a way where their specific strengths can be brought together for a common purpose, for a collective strength. And these things are deeply you know, interesting to me. I incorporated her uh, work on smart collaboration in the things that I've published for years. And so it's actually quite an honor to be one of her uh, accredited partners. But any, any of these tools that help us deliver that experience, you know, and incidentally, if you've been, if you've been on a great team, most people will say it's the highlight of their personal slash professional experience. And we all know what that feels like. And all of us want to do that again. So one of the things that drives me is thinking about how do we create a culture of continuous improvement where we can deliver that kind of experience regularly? Why couldn't we? I think it's totally possible. Absolutely. I think it is a challenge, but totally possible. All the great things are challenging. Nothing comes easy, does it? No. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for the time. It's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, And we'll put in the show notes links to all your various ventures so that folks who are listening can easily connect with you. That's so kind of you. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.